0: Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can help us by reaching others by investing at trinitysandiego.org. Thanks again for joining us. Now here's Pastor Katie. We're talking about relationships. Uh, this, this last month, we've been talking about me, we, us, and them. And uh, the first week, uh, Pastor Todd talked about the most important pivotal relationship, which we call it me, but what it means is me and God. Yeah. This relationship between you and God is actually the source of all other strength in re- other relationships. Uh, I see, I see that first pivotal week as He was talking about our identity and who God has created us to be—our identity in Christ. But you know, I see it as kind of like a river, and a river um, has a beginning. It has a beginning, which is called the headwaters. Right. The headwaters are the source. Of where all the power comes from in a river, right, yeah. everything flows when you have a river that that jets off into four different uh, maybe four or five different tributaries, there is power that is going and flowing through each of those tributaries but it 's because it is connected to a strong source, yeah. the headwaters but you know what 's funny about rivers and headwaters. I was doing research this week, such a random thing to research rivers <laughs> right uh, I was researching it though and um What's interesting is that uh, most rivers that we see today did not start off strong and powerful. The headwaters actually started off very, very small. And I want to encourage somebody in here today that if you feel like your relationship or that source, that immediate relationship, intimate relationship with God is not really as strong as what you would hope it to be, there's hope. There's hope. Right. And, and when you realign where your source is coming from and where their source of strength is coming from, your source of power is coming from, when God is the headwaters of your life, all other relationships starts to have power yeah. flow through it. Wow. Every relationship, the we relationship, Pastor Bob talked about the intimate relationships last week. Um, the we, um, that's your spouse. That's your family. That's your extended family. That's the people that know you most intimately. Right. And how uh, the power flows from the source into those relationships as well. And he talked about how good and pleasing it is for us to dwell in unity together. Because it's so important to have unity in those spaces. Can I get that water, please? I always forget my water when I come up here. Um, So just excuse me. And then uh, this, this week, I am talking to you about the topic of us. What is us? because isn't, isn't us all of us? Isn't us all of us? Like how are you redefining this? Yeah, um, us, the way that we've decided to categorize us is the relationships that maybe are on the next layer or in um, that next ripple out of, of we. So it's the people that you interact with on a daily basis or maybe a weekly basis. It's people that you work with. It's people that um, maybe in the grocery store that you frequent and your are cashier. The us category is people that don't have the same access that the we category has. The we category has different levels of access to us because they've maybe broken down some barriers in our life. We've shown them the ugly parts and they still love us. Amen. Thank you, honey. Uh, (laughs) You know. (laughs) Those are the we people, but we're talking about the us people and the us people, what I have found are much easier to distance ourselves from and to create barriers within those relationships. I don't know if I'm the only one. By the way, if you're new here, I just kind of, I like to keep it real. So I, I'm i gonna tell you how it is and how I have experienced life and I hope that you don't hate it. Um, I hope that you come back. <laughs> but um, just, just bear with me, this is how we roll, that's how I roll, I just do transparency. I feel like it's the most helpful way to do it, okay? Mm. So the coworkers, the acquaintances, your servers, people that um, you know, necessar- aren't necessarily intimate but can be um, uh, maybe misconstrued sometimes in our life as not as important, or maybe people that we maybe don't have access to influence. But the reality is, is that we're talking about relationships because our entire world is made up of relationships. Right. Right. Like every everything that we do is centered around relationships. Not all of them are defined the same way, but everything is about relationships. That's why everybody that's why people want to come and they want to hear about what God's word says about relationships, because it's so vital. God created more than one of y'all. okay, so that you can have a friend so that you can be in relationship. Amen. Yeah. So my topic today is us and the scripture today is John 3:16 and 17. And some of you are going to be like, "What? That's a weird scripture to talk about relationships." Maybe not, okay? Yeah. Just stay tuned. Let's go ahead and throw that up on the screen here. John 3:16 and 17 says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever Did we, did we, yes, we bolded whoever specifically, because we're going to come back to that word. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and underline that or circle it or write that on your sermon notes, because it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Here's how this affects our relationships. I'm going to start with verse 17. In verse 17, it says, God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. I think the problem with a lot of our relationships, particularly our us relationships that we can easily create distance in, is that we get up not believing verse 17. In the mornings, we get up and we believe that God does condemn us for the mistakes that we made yesterday. We believe that God doesn't actually really love us, or we believe that God is somehow holding this divine grudge against us from what we did 20 years ago or 10 years ago, or 10 minutes ago. Right. And so we believe that there is some level of condemnation attached to our humanity and our existence. And so we get up not believing verse 17. Wow. Come on. And that affects our relationships, mm. right? Have you ever felt condemned? Yeah. Have you ever felt not worthy? Yeah. And you try to have a relationship, you try to talk to somebody when you're not feeling worthy. Yeah. Yeah. What happens is, is if somebody s- expresses a concern to you, you take it as a spirit of criticism because you're living in a condemnation mindset Come on. Yeah. when really they're saying, I care about you, I'm concerned for you, but you, you, you hear it as criticism. Wow. That's because we get up living condemned. Wow. Come on. We get up living believing that God doesn't really love us, that he didn't really send his son to die for whoever. Because wow. wow. it must be only for the people that are worthy or that do the right thing or go to church every Sunday or get in a connect group. It's not true. And so I want to address some of these lies, but I also want to address some of the barriers that we can create within ourselves that affects our relationships in these us categories. I was on a cruise this week. Many of you saw my Facebook pictures. Yes. And we did swim with the dolphins. If you ask my kids what their top 10, uh, top 10 moments were on the cruise they will say ice cream and dolphins didn't even make the cut (laughs) go figure like I've waited literally 36 years to swim with dolphins and I finally made it happen and I was like Look at how blessed you are, my children. You are five and nine, and you finally get to swim. You you get to swim with dolphins before you even hit the teens. How blessed are you, children? It was really about me, though. I spent $600 to go swim with the dolphins, and all she wanted was soft serve ice cream that's unlimited. That's all she cared about seriously ask her that's what she'll tell you oh and fancy dinner they get fancy dinner every night in the fancy dining room anywho that's not the point of my story (laughs) we go on this cruise and if you ever want to hear or um encounter different people from all different kinds of walks of life, different cultures, um, different backgrounds, just go on a cruise, (laughs) all right? I I was like, wow, I am not in power anymore. Mm -mm. And uh, first example of that, we we got a balcony stateroom and we splurged because we had never gotten a balcony stateroom and it can be quite pricey and um, so we decided because the children were, were with us um, to put them in daycare. <laughs> have, I know I bring my kids on vacation, then I put them in daycare on the cruise. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, it was great. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, they have these. These they have amazing programs. It was fine. It was fine. Stop judging me. And so. Uh, We decided to do that and take an hour for ourselves and just sit out on the balcony, right? You can see the ocean. It's just, it's so peaceful. It's so wonderful. Except um, we had these neighbors who were, um, we quickly figured out they they were from Buffalo, New York. And um, yeah, so people know what that means, I guess. (laughs) You know, we don't even know where I'm going with this. and uh, they, they, you could tell that they had come from a little bit of a rough background, uh, gang, gang lifestyle. Um, and the only reason I say that is because I heard them talking, because um, the balconies are only separated by a thin little piece of plexiglass, so not so much with the privacy on the balcony. It's a real nice view, not so much with the privacy. And so we're, I'm listening to this conversation, and these guys are, are highly, they're intense in their conversations, and they're smoking things that um, we don't usually smell. And we were like, wow, they're really, you know. Like, really getting into it, and there, this this guy I think the word Glock was used once or twice, maybe. That's a gun, by the way. I think, is that a gun? Okay, I think that word was used. I'm pretty sure the words. The the F-bomb was dropped a few times, profanity, Um, you know, talking about a drug deal that went bad and then $20,000 went missing from the armrest. I mean, like all kinds of things. I can't make this stuff up, you guys, by the way, can't make this stuff up. Then one dude starts saying, now, if I wanted to murder my wife on this cruise ship, how do you think I could go about doing that? I was like okay it's time to go inside now into the stateroom, and I called the witness protection program because I was like I think I just I'm, I'm about to witness something real bad happening right now I was like they we are not in power anymore for sure <laughs> then uh, the next day we're at this lagoon on the private island uh, that Royal Caribbean owns and we're just swimming around. And we see this wild iguana. And that was pretty cool. You don't see that every day here in San Diego. And so we see this wild iguana. He's just crawling on the rocks. And so Todd's trying to get the kids to come over and look at the iguana. And he's like, look at how cool this is. Well, this dude from Baltimore um, comes over. (laughs) And um, fi- come to find out he had left his wife at home and taken his two kids on the cruise to give her a break, and we were like, why wouldn 't you just send her on the cruise like and just watch your kids, but whatever." <laughs> That's what he's saying, weird people, okay? And so so this guy comes over, starts talking to Todd about iguanas, like tells him all kinds of things about iguanas. Todd's like, Do you like raise these? And he's like, Actually, yes, I I had an iguana for fifteen years. And you would not believe it lasted fifteen or it lasted. It lived fifteen years. But he's like, then it died and you know, it was my best friend in college and but you wouldn't even believe it. hundred people showed up to its funeral and it showed up on the Baltimore star, and then I put it on a raft and I pulled it out to Valhalla River and lit it on fire, and all this weird stuff. This is the story. I can't make this stuff up. This actually happened. Right. Like Todd was like, huh, huh, huh. Like we're just like, where are we? Where do all these people come from? Then Then that same night, I'm up on top of the top deck, and it's real windy, um, but we had just dropped the kids off at of daycare again uh, to go ha- have some time for us. It sounds like we weren't with the kids at all. I literally, it was like for an hour. And so we're up on on the deck, and we're just enjoying the nice night sky over the ocean. And um, I overhear this other conversation where these people are clearly from from the Midwest or something Utah or something yeah Utah it was Utah because they were going at it about which bow and arrow is best used for the hunt to hunt moose and they were like in it y'all like they were and they were a little inebriated so they were like they were like best bow and arrow ever best time ever was when i was 14 and i was with my dad on a hunt i didn't even shoot anything i didn't do anything but the, but the best bone is and one of yeah. and i was like okay todd i'm like i'm done like my my mind all of these different interactions all of these random people right are all coming and surrounding around this beautiful cruise experience and i wonder how many of those people would have been like you're weird when i would tell them my story like like I'm from Poway, California, and um, I like long walks on the beach, you know, and all of that. I wonder if they probably would have thought I was weird. And uh, I was thinking, like, you know, we're all in this central location or in this beautiful place in the Bahamas on this cruise ship. And how interesting is it how it draws all kinds of random people from all different backgrounds of life, all different cultures, all different stories. And I'm pretty sure that the only two places that that happens is in a, on a cruise or in a church, you know, like where, or around the person of Jesus, right? Where no matter what our background is and no matter what it is that we've gone through, or what culture we're accustomed to, we can still find unity and centrality around the person of Jesus or a cruise ship <laughs> in this case, either way, you know, you can go to church on a cruise. I'm kidding. That's a joke. But it is, the, it is the, yeah, they do have church. They do have church. Uh, we did not go to church. I will, I will admit we did not go to church um, on the ship, but um, we did our devos, so you can give us gold stars for that. But the reality is, is that all of those people were whoever's. They were whosoever's. That's what I'm trying to say about this John 3:16 and 17, and why it's so important to look at that that word of whoever, whosoever. This was why, you've, if you've heard me talk about this passage before, I've said this before that John 3:16 was actually a profound statement that was made because any scriptures pertaining to the love of God or or people being the object of God's affection only pertain to the race or the people of Israel. Before John 3:16, the writings we only for one specific people group, but because Jesus came and what he did on the cross mattered so much. Now that all the whosoever's are now included in the promise of eternity, all the whosoever's are included in the promise that God loves them and he has a good plan for their life. And he wants to strengthen the flow of their relationships when he is in the headwater position. That's right that 's what that is about, and so if unless you are of like Jewish descent, y'all are a whosoever, I am a whosoever, right. and aren't we grateful that yeah. God sent His Son yeah. for all the whosoevers hey, and the whoevers? <clears throat> sorry i 'm getting over a, a cold, guys, but um, this was what was what, what, so as I was studying this passage and this this topic of the who whoevers and who's included in that. It's, it's now everybody, which means my point is, is when we're talking about the us category, the people that these people that I just described to you, all three instances could technically be considered part of my us category because they were people that God um, somehow put in my sphere. He put them in my circle of influence, even if it was just for a week yeah. and I never capitalized on it. I'll be really honest with you. I didn't capitalize on what I'm going to try to talk to you about today because I, as I was reflecting, it was like this, this, this realization moment for me that even if I put these people in an us category, uh, an acquaintance category, I still can have influence and impact. Amen. That's right. I still can share the message of Jesus. That's right. I can still show them who Jesus is. And the guy that wanted to murder his wife, I mean, y'all, that's between him and God, you know, so it's not my job to judge, but like, whoa, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to touch that over there. But this is the, the Jewish people within when John 3:16 was written, had a really hard time with this passage because the Jews had number one, expected Jesus to be a warrior and he came in as a baby right. and he started serving people. And he was gentle and humble in heart. And that's not who they expected the Messiah to be. So number one, they had a hard time accepting Jesus as the Messiah. Number two, they had a hard time accepting that anyone outside of their Jewish race um, could be accepted or also an object of God's love. And so what I found interesting as I was studying when the message of Jesus or the gospel was spreading and all of these people in the us category started coming into the kingdom that Jesus started to build. uh, If you look at Acts, Paul was the evangelist, right? We all know Paul is the evangelist. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, Paul was somebody that was a Jew that was drastically transformed by the power of Jesus. And he was sent out to be a missionary to go tell people about Jesus. Yeah. Um, but what I think that we misconstrue sometimes in the church is that we tend to think of Paul as the evangelist to the Greeks and the Gentiles and all the people outside of the Jewish race. But as I was studying in Acts uh, 17, I looked, I looked in um, Acts 17 and it says in Thessalonica, which we have a a new Testament letter for the Thessalonians in Corinth and in Ephesus, he actually went to the synagogues first. He he went to the synagogues first before he went to the Greeks and the, and the Gentiles um, to share the message of Jesus. Now, why is this important? Because there must be something powerful about going to the people of God to get the message of the gospel out. Paul understood that he needed to go to people who were already God fearing to get the message of Jesus out. And the Bible says that some of them believed and some of them didn't. But it says later on that those that believed shared their faith and and he added to their number daily, which means that they were part of building the churches that he wrote the letters to the people of God, the people that are sitting here in this church. So that must mean that there is a mandate and there's a special power and anointing and an influence on the people that are sitting within this room to get the gospel out. Right. Paul didn't, Paul didn't find it necessary to just go and talk to people who didn't know God or people that were far from God. That was where he went after he tried to talk to the people of God, but he knew that there was a a power attached to talking to people that already knew who God was. And I want to, I want to ask you this morning, Do you see yourself as a person of God that is a person of influence that can produce the power, that powerful flow that we're talking about in your relationships, in your us category, in the people that God has strategically placed in your sphere that you might be able to discount easily because you have distance from them or you have a barrier or because they're not like you or because they use words like Glock. Okay. I'm just kidding, but not really. How do we create distance and barriers with people that God has actually placed in our life on purpose? Because God wants to produce something, not just in you, but in them. He wants to reproduce what he's done in you through his power working through you and your people in your us category. But if we're too busy setting up barriers because we don't understand how they talk or what kind of background they come from, or if they raise iguanas that you don't care about, y'all are going to miss the moment. You're going to miss your purpose. You will miss making a difference. You will miss it completely, and you will will miss out. Here's the biggest—this is a— The saddest thing for me is to see people missing out on an opportunity for God to use them because nothing will draw you closer to the heart of God. Nothing will give you more eternal joy in your spirit than to be used by God by serving somebody else, by getting outside of yourself and loving people and sharing his message. Nothing, nothing's better than it. That's That's it. (laughs) So how do we apply um, what we know? You see, it's, it's, it's not, it's not just important to come to church and to gain the knowledge of the scriptures, but real growth and results in our faith life happens when we apply it. You have to apply the stuff that we talk about. Otherwise you won't see results in your life. Results don't come just from sitting in a church service. Yes, the Holy Spirit can speak to you. I believe that he spoke through me and he ministered to somebody here in this room this morning. I I don't know who that is, but but yes, it can happen here and it does happen here. And that's why it's so important to come here and be here in this environment. But it does no good if you just let it stay here and you don't take it outside of here. You will not live the abundant life. If you, if you just leave it here. Yeah. And so how do we apply this? How do we see, how do, how do we see that power reproduced in our life, in the flow of our relationships in the category of the us people? How do we see that? I think that Jesus gave us a, a, a perfect model. Yeah. Jesus, the way he lived his life is what we believe here at Trinity is how we are to live our life. That's right. So when people ask me about my faith, I just say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I just try to do my best to be like Jesus. And here's the greatest model of that in Philippians two, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value or prefer. I put the emphasis in there. That's my emphasis. This is about preferring other people above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now here's the money verse right here for our relationship series in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. We kind of tend to skip over that uh, verse a lot because we, we focus on three and four do nothing out of selfish ambition, but we skip over number five, where it says it gives us the roadmap for your relationships To the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. This is the, this is how how the kingdom of Jesus is turned upside down. Is that the world says that um, if you are if if you are supposed to be first, then you've got to trample over everybody. And Jesus said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Right. Jesus says, serve people that mistreat you, um, or love people that mistreat you. Pray for those who persecute you. This is the upside down kingdom, right. but it works right. for whatever reason it works, yeah. and. And so when we are faced with relationships and people in the categories that maybe are different from us, but that somehow God is still placed in our life, we, there needs to be this awareness that if we're to impact them, if we're to have fruitful, powerful relationships, it comes from a place of humility. Yeah. And so uh, I asked the question again, how can we apply This verse. Well, number one, I didn't put it up on the screen, but if you want to write it down, you can. Number one is through your priorities and your pursuits. And I I put that as number one because your priorities and your pursuits will define every other area of influence in your life. What you choose to prioritize and what you choose to pursue will define every other area of influence in your life. If you do not prioritize your relationship with Jesus first, just you and him, this isn't about your husband. It's not about your wife. It's not about your kids. This is about you and him first. Right. When this is first, everything else gets better. That's right. yeah. Everything else looks more powerful. Everything else looks healthier. Right. But if your priority is out of out of balance, if you're prioritizing time with your kids, which I am not saying is bad, don't don't y'all get all mad. What I'm saying is is that, when you prioritize your relationship with your creator, with the savior of the world, somehow he multiplies your time. He somehow multiplies your time to be able to spend time with your kids, to spend time with your spouse to go and be an influential person in your community. He sometimes, he just multiplies it. I don't know how he does it. I don't care really. I stopped asking the questions. How does this happen? And I just do it because I know that I need a source that's powerful so that the rest of my life can be fruitful. Jesus said that you did not choose me, but I chose you and I chose you to go and bear fruit. So what are you producing in your relationships, in your us category? That's the question. And number two, how we apply this is we prefer others. We Our preferences of others. Number one is priorities and pursuits. Number two is our preferences of others. In Romans 12, 10, it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference, giving preference to one another. Preference is defined as a greater liking for one alternative over another. So when I prefer my husband's opinion, or his feelings over mine, uh, that is acting in humility. But I I asked the question, you know, okay, God, well, what's the biggest hindrance then to um, being an influential person to people in the S category and the acquaintances, the baristas of our life, the coworkers, what's the biggest hindrance? And he just said self, selfishness. I was praying the other day, or a few weeks ago, it was months ago now, but I was just like, God, what about this? What about our finances? We've got to get this figured out. And God, what about this? And what about me and mine? And what about this? And what about this? And I was like, and then I started asking, why aren't you doing anything about all my prayers? Because you say, keep on asking and you will receive and they haven't gotten anything yet. So what's up with that? And he was like, cause you're selfish. <laughs> Me and God, we're, we're we're tight like that. You know, he can just say whatever he needs to say to me and I can just receive it. It takes a little bit to get there, but I'm just kidding. Not all the time do I always receive it as well, but God knows. But he said self is the biggest hindrance for us to be able to produce something powerful in our life. For God to reproduce what he's done in us in other people. It's, your, it's yourself. I'm going to make some enemies. It's okay. It's okay. He said, um... Selfishness is a subtle killer of my ability to not only maintain harmony in my relationships let alone influence my relationships and so i I really thought that this thought we could take away from this today that self focus creates barriers in our relationship humility focused builds bridges Good. between our relationships and I thought that maybe i would i would because Philippians two, three says, or I'm sorry, two, five says in your relationships with one another had the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I thought I would identify some common mindsets that are self-focused that maybe we typically do these subconsciously that create barriers. Can I do that? Yeah. And by the way, I'm taking it all from my own experience and in, in my own head. So I'm not calling anybody <laughs> out. This is not, um, I'm just saying from my own experience and what I've been convicted of. Um, how i've been self focused these are from me so my number 1 self focus needing to be in a good mood to keep my commitments that's good come on it's pretty quiet <laughs> i kind of knew this part would be quiet though right. Right. i need to be in a good mood to keep my commitments anybody else? Or is it just me? <laughs> just me? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm just going to, ch- I'm, I'm going to just tell you sometimes that is really how it feels for me. I feel like I need to be in a good mood or I need to feel like it to want to keep the commitments that I made. So when I say I'm going to start a connect group and then Wednesday night rolls around, I usually don't feel like it. <laughs> i just be honest. Or I don't feel like I'm not in the mood to do this. But the reality is, is that self-focused. That's That's focused on how I feel. That's not humility focus. That's not considering others better than myself. So a humility focus, I thought I would give a self-focus and then a humility focus on how to counteract that. The humility focus says, I don't know what they had to sacrifice to keep up their end of the commitment. And so I will choose to honor mine. What we often forget when we're in a self-focused state of mind and not in a mindset of Christ is that it's all about us and how we feel. And we forget that other people had to make sacrifices to also make the commitment. We don't tend to think about other people's sacrifices as our own, right? Um, Number two, the number two self-focus for me, this was mine. Maybe it's yours too. My schedule and my time is more valuable than yours. So if I'm late, you should just understand. Or if I'm rude and rushed, you should just get over it. <laughs> now I've never actually said this out loud, um, but I think that a lot of times we don't say these things out loud, but we kind of subconsciously think them. That's right. I think I might be the only one, babe. No, you're not. But literally, like I've had the thought, like when I'm late to an appointment, I'm like, oh, just you should just understand. I, I had something going. <laughs> you know, or I, I, my curling iron didn't work, you know? And so you should just understand. Um, or if I'm rude and rushed to my barista and I'm like, come on, <laughs> late for church, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's happened before. Not recently. Cause I learned my lesson real quick from that. But when I'm like late for church and I'm like, come on, dude, I gotta go. My choir teacher from high school used to say, Poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on mine. And he would say it like that. And he would be like, I'm not holding up my class for you. Get your butt here. Anyway, that, that was a side note. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Um, However, you know, the self-focus is that my schedule and my time, what you're saying is, is that my schedule and my time are more valuable than yours. And, um, humility focus says, I recognize that you also have a schedule as well as a life and responsibilities, and I will do my best to value your time and apologize if I absolutely cannot. I'm not hard and fast about it guys. I'm not super black and white where it's like you, if you're, if you're ever late or if you're ever rude, I understand that things come up. I understand people get flat tires. I got a text from a friend this morning that was on her way to church and her child uh, fell and um on her head, and now has an indent. She had to take her to the emergency room. Things happen. You guys, I am not being so black and white and, and Nazi about this, okay? So don't look at me like I'm a Nazi. What I'm just trying to tell you is, is how I'm trying to help you see areas that maybe are subconsciously self focused that are creating distance and barriers in your relationships that God wants you to have power in, that He wants you to have influence in. Uh, number three. Number three, self-focus. Ooh, this one's going to sting. My political opinion slash belief system is superior to yours. And therefore I have no patience for you and your presence in my sphere. And if you disagree with me, I will write you off. Just me? No? Yeah. You know, um, it's not really, this one's really not about the political opinions and the belief systems, um, because I have very strong political opinions and belief systems, um, regarding certain issues. And my, uh, belief systems are aligned with the Bible, which I believe is the infallible word of God. And so it's very easy for me to think that my, um, uh, belief systems are superior. Um, and in a way that they are my point though, that I have to be careful to make here is that, it's not about the belief system. It's not about the differing of opinions from other people. What it's about is an air of superiority. When you have an air of superiority about what you believe, you automatically create a barrier between somebody that maybe God wants you to love, that he wants you to show Jesus's love to. And um, this has happened over and over in my life where I've just, just, I just write people. Sometimes I I just write people off because I'm like, I don't know how to handle healthy conflicts and how to disagree and still respect the person as a human being. And so therefore I just write them off. I don't, I don't talk to them anymore because I just can't, I, I don't have the maturity to handle how to have that conversation. What has happened to me over the years is that God has convicted me of is the air of superiority. Cause he said, Katie, if you think you are superior to somebody in any way, shape or form, you will never be able to influence them. They will not be able to receive from you and you will not be able to help them on in the cause of my, my name and whether you, you you don't have to be a pastor for, for this to apply, by the way, I I use it within the context of my life because this is my life. But I believe everybody in here, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, you can use these principles and understand that if you feel yourself superior to somebody because of decisions that they've made or they sin differently than you do, (laughs) um, you might just check yourself before you wreck yourself, okay y'all, because Good. because you won't be able to minister to people, you won't be able to have influence on them, they will hate you, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I see this a lot though, this is th- the point that I wanna make though, I see this a lot sometimes with higher education and um, there's nothing wrong with higher education, so please, please don't misunderstand me. I know that I'm saying a lot of things today and I hope that you know me well enough and if you're new, I hope you hear my heart through it. I'm gonna be pursuing getting my master's degree very soon, so yes, so there's nothing wrong with higher education. The problem that I see, though, sometimes with higher education or people who are highly educated is that they can mistake higher education with wisdom and wisdom from above is, first of all, pure and peace loving. That's what the Bible says. And so it doesn't disagree. It doesn't it doesn't bump heads. But because we can we can have a a higher level of intelligence or knowledge because of higher education, we can assume that that's wisdom and it's not. And so you've got to be careful about the air of superiority. Here's how. Here's how people would have matched up in ancient Bible days in terms of winning when it comes to higher education. The Pharisees would have come out on top because they were the highly educated, highly educated social class of that day. Jesus would have been considered a failure because he picked ordinary dudes that had no higher education. They just knew how to fish. (laughs) It actually says in Acts 4, 4, 13, after they saw Peter uh, heal, a man who had been crippled for years and years, it says when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you wanna have an influential life, you don't have to get a master's degree. But if you do feel like you need to do that, go ahead. I do feel like I need to do that. So I'm going to do it. Okay. It's great. I'm not saying poo poo on higher education. Yes. I said it wherever Lucas is. I said it. They were making, they were making fun of me that I used that term the other day and whatever. Okay. uh, I'm getting off track. All you need to be influential in your life is a, a real relationship with Jesus. That's That's what the Bible says. He picked unschooled and ordinary people to change the world. They started the church, the early church. But here's the humility focus. Because God sees you through the finished work of the cross and valuable. This is to somebody that I disagree with on my belief systems, my political opinion. Because God sees you through the finished work of the cross and he saw you valuable enough to go and die for you. I will honor you as a human being, even if I disagree with your point of view. If I could have the worship team come and join me, that'd be awesome. This is my final mindset idea that I thought we could take away this morning. My feelings slash emotions, and I didn't put this in there, but, or what I'm going through in this moment are more important and significant than yours. Therefore, I'm going to unload it all on you because mine are what matter to me again, these are things that I, we don't really say out loud, it's just assumptions and mindsets that we operate under. And I do this particularly with my husband, um, maybe some of you can relate, but I do this a lot with Todd where my feelings and my emotions are the most important thing and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and not his, his are not as important because he's a guy and he can process it better. <laughs> No? All the ladies in the room, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this, this, by the way, though, is not talking about, um, like, abusive situations. Like, if you're in an abusive situation, this is not what it's talking about. Humility is not a doormat. Humility is not a doormat. It's actually the strongest position that you can take. Um... They say that, you know, meekness sometimes gets a bad rap, you know, because it's considered weak, but meekness isn't weakness. It's strength under control. Humility is understanding who you are and not needing and preferring other people above yourself because of who God says you are, because God sees you through the finished work of the cross. He sees you through what Jesus did and you are more valuable than what you think you are. And so when you understand that as a real truth about who you are, you don't need to, you don't need to maybe live within these self-focused mindsets that we typically tend to do. Yeah. Um, so when I say that my feelings are what I'm going through is the most important thing. And I feel like I have to tell Todd about it and it doesn't matter what he feels about it or it doesn't matter what he's going through. Um, We typically tend to do this in our relationships with the S category sometimes is that um, these are casual friendships maybe where we sit down and we have coffee and we don't ask them one question about their, their life or what's going on with them. What are they walking through, right? I've been to lots of those coffee appointments and I've been on both ends of them. Where I'm constantly venting about my life. What's going on with me, my feelings, what what do I feel about? And then I've been on the receiving end of those. But the humility focus, I actually thought I would just put a scripture um, for the humility focus of this one. And it's 1 Peter 2.23. It's about Jesus. Because if we're going to model after Jesus's lifestyle, we have to look at how he processed things when he was insulted, when he was going through it. This is while he was getting ready to hang on a cross. They were hurling insults at him and he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly not talking about just taking it. If somebody is bullying you or abusing you or whatever, that's, and not talking about it. What I'm talking about is believing that what you're going through in your own life is more important than the person across from you. What if when we go through something hard, we entrust our situation to him who judges justly, to the one that says that he loves us more than any other human relationship and that he'll work things All things together for the good of those who love him. What if we did that? I have a friend. She's here today, Cheryl, and she gave me permission to share the story. But Cheryl shared in our Connect group this last Wednesday. Which, by the way, we have a great Connect group, and if you haven't signed up for one, you should come on Wednesday nights. Information's on the on the table out there. But. She shared in connect group that um, a couple years ago, I believe she was diagnosed with celiac disease and Cheryl's a nurse. And so Cheryl knows all about health and the human body and knows how to heal, heal the human body. Right. But she, she shared that her processing of that information and that diagnosis was pretty negative. It was like, God, are you kidding me? Why this? Why me? Me, I don't have time to go through all this. I'm a nurse. I'm supposed to be helping other people get healthy. And now I have celiac disease. What is this about? Do you notice the self kind of focused prayer, which is all, it's all normal. These are all normal human responses. But if we want to to live above normal, we have to start looking at what the Bible says on how to respond, right? That's why we talk about the humility portion of it. But she started researching and doing different things to help heal her celiac disease. And um, through her research, she was still treating, and throughout this process, she was still treating patients. People were coming in and asking her how, you know, how I have these symptoms and how do I help with these symptoms? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I'm generalizing some of the story, but... What she said was, in Connect Group, she said, what was so amazing was that I finally, when I finally sat down and I realized the purpose behind what I was going through, if I had unloaded everything and all my feelings about celiac disease onto every single patient, I would not have been helping them because what my research did was help help them. You see, God used my sickness for their good. And if you wanna kick the enemy in the teeth, just start using your pain to bless somebody else, right. to help somebody else. If you want the enemy to flee from you, and if you want to live a victorious, powerful, powerfully relational life, because we're talking about relationships, because God wants to use you in every area of your life. And if you just want to just make the devil mad, go out and love on somebody and do something for someone else that does not benefit you because God will use whatever is coming against you for your good. And you will have a testimony just like Cheryl. When you get it, when, when you get a cancer diagnosis and you've been going to pray first and believing that God is going to show up in your situation, you will have somebody with a cancer diagnosis that maybe doesn't have your faith, doesn't have the hope that you have in Christ. And you get to minister to those people. You get to reproduce what God has put in you. And that is the kingdom. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes.